this morning, we're going to be looking at Colossians, and we're going to be looking at Colossians 4 verse 2. You can turn there if you want. We're going to do a bigger section. We're going to break it up a little bit slower, because I think it's going to be quite exciting. Um, I want you to imagine, it's at this stage of the letter, I want you to imagine that you're a single parent, and you have some kids, and you find out that you don't have long to live. And your kids are young, you haven't taught them everything you wanted to teach them, and they don't know that much about life. And now you're going to write them a letter, leaving them the most important information, and you have a limited space. You have a little page and a pencil, and and whatever you can get on there, that's going to be your last recorded advice. And there's lots of good things you'd want to put in. You'd want to put in things like, you know, hiring a tax agent can actually help you save a lot of money more than it costs. Uh, uh, Petrol is cheaper on Wednesdays. Everything is cheaper after Christmas. Um, There's a bunch of, like, really helpful advice that you can give. But none of those things are probably going to be what you put down on that piece of paper. Similarly... Paul uh, is writing to the Colossians who he's never met, and he's getting to the end of his letter, and he's kind of getting to that place where it's, if these are my last words, what will they be? Words. And there's kind of this urgency now, this this potency to every word that he says, Um, and there's a lot of good things he doesn't say. There's a lot of good things he doesn't write about. doesn't mean they're not important, but it does mean these are those most important, macro-important, don't forget these things in case I'd never get to tell you again. Uh, words that Paul's going to say. And we can, we can summarize all of this, uh, this whole letter. We can summarize it in a paragraph. It's quite easy. We can summarize it in a sentence. It's quite easy. We can summarize it in three words. It's quite easy. We can actually summarize Colossians in one word, and it would be Jesus. Colossians is all about Jesus. Three words, Jesus is preeminent. That's what Colossians is about, is about. And Paul's writing to these young Christians, trying to help them see how they can live their whole lives centered on Christ. So there's a whole bunch of advice that he gave the Corinthians in their Christian journey, and he gave uh, other churches along their journeys. But this one is about helping people center their lives on Jesus, who is preeminent over all things. It's so important. And um, over the next three weeks, we're going to break up his wise counsel into these three points. This week is what MC Hammer got right. Who remembers MC Hammer? Yes, some of you. Fantastic. Number two you got, uh, is going to be how to change the world without leaving bed. Who would like to learn how to do that? Some of you. We're going to learn next week. I'm going to teach you how to change the world without even getting out of bed. And then the week after that is introducing your invisible friend to others without being weird. <laughs> who would like to do that yes most of us okay so next week come to find out how to change the world um, without getting out of bed and then the following week come to learn how to in- uh, introduce your invisible friends to others without being weird but this morning is about what MC Hammer got right um, does anyone remember you've got to pray just to make it today yeah yeah Rez who, who can just like break it out for us just to make it today. There you go. You've got to pray just to make it today. That's MC Hammer's probably his most famous line. And this is the sort of, adv- sort of advice that Paul is now giving the Colossians. Read it with me. Colossians 4 verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul says continue, not because he thinks that they're incredibly good prayers, Not that they've mastered the habit of prayer, 
they get up every morning, they break at lunch, and then they pray in the evenings. And they, these Colossians, these young Christians, are just fantastic prayers, and word is getting around how amazing their prayer life is. So Paul can just write to them and say, yeah, continue. That's not what he means here. What he's meaning is, you have received Christ. You have placed your faith in Christ. You are Christ's. You are building your life on Christ. You are learning how to live with Christ in the center of your life. With that in mind, continue on in prayer. Or how to grow as a Christian. Pray. Do you see the difference? They might be terrible prayers. They might have never prayed ever in their lives. That's not the qualification. Is their faith in Christ? Is Jesus the center of their lives? Yes. Okay. Continue on in this faith relationship with Je- through Jesus. Continue on in prayer. Um, which is wonderfully encouraging. Think about it like this. How many people do you have a wonderful, growing relationship with that you never speak to? A lot, a few, none. Prayer is essential to having a growing relationship with God. It's one of the gifts he's given for us to grow in relationship with him. Does it mean that if you never pray, you aren't a Christian? You know what I'm going to say because I say it every week. Of course it does not. If my children never speak to me, they are still my children. They just won't get Christmas presents. But how can they grow in relationship with me? Have a chat. My son took me to cricket for Father's Day present. Watch Pakistan versus um, uh, Australia, and it was a fantastic game, very interesting. We sat mostly with Pakistan fans, and it was a fantastic crowd. But his feedback to Nas was interesting. How did it go? Dad didn't chat much. Well, essentially, he was, he was marking his feedback by a conversation, not a game. Australia won. We smashed them. But his marker for the how was it was our conversation, which was lean, because... I mean, honestly, if I go to a game with any of you, just don't expect lots from me. I get enamored. The grass is so green. You can see everyone's hand signals. You can almost hear their words if you watch their lips. I love every second of the event. I forget where I am. Conversation changes things. It builds relationships. We grow. But prayer is surprisingly difficult. For something that's so important, prayer is surprisingly difficult. So Paul has to write, continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Now this is an incredible word. When you go look up the, what, what this word means in a Greek word study, here's a tip in Bible words. Don't go read an Oxford dictionary on what the definition of the word is. Why? Because your Bible wasn't written in English. Definitely not English from the 1900s or the 2000s. Your Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew, so you need to go to a, a Bible dictionary and learn what that word meant in, uh, in that language. And this word that we say steadfast, uh, what it means is to continue to do something with intense effort with the possible implication of despite difficulty. I love that definition. <laughs> to continue to do something with intense effort, that's the best case scenario, is it's going to require intense effort. But there's the possible implication of, despite difficulty, it could get worse. (laughs) So Paul says, continue in prayer. It's going to require intense effort, and sometimes there's even going to be extra difficulty. How understanding is Paul? 
Who's understood that prayer is hard? Raise your hand if for you prayer has been hard. Okay, that, more than anything so far, there's more hands raised for that. So prayer is surprisingly difficult. And the vast majority of people who pray regularly will say that prayer is very beneficial. And yet it never becomes much easier to do. It's always something that's quite difficult, difficult as Paul says, requires intense effort. At least to get into a good habit of it. That's okay. That's normal. Think about it like this. We know that rest and healthy food and exercise makes us feel better and just is good for us, and yet so many of us don't do that, right? It's not super easy. Even though we know, like eating well, running around, having a nap is good for us, we don't do it. Even though I know cleaning my, keeping my house clean and tidy makes me enjoy my house more, you've got to know that my house is not always clean and tidy. So it's normal that things we know are beneficial are not always easy to do. That's just what our lives are like. And if it's true physically, it's also true spiritually. So don't be down on yourself if you're like, I'm the worst prayer. It's never easy for me. That's, that's fine. That might be true. But you're probably also the worst house tidier and the worst exerciser. And the, in other words, you're just normal. For those of you who have the gift of prayer, you just love prayer. You're just so great at prayer. Keep that to yourself for now. So that we don't have to practice communion again. Why is prayer so difficult? Paul Miller writes this. He says, We are so busy that when we slow down to pray, we find it uncomfortable. We prize accomplishments and production. But prayer is nothing but talking to God. It feels useless, as if we are wasting time. Every bone in our bodies screams, Get to work! In the, in, the, in the broader culture and in our churches, we prize intellect, competency, and wealth. But we can do li- uh, because we can do life without God, praying seems nice but unnecessary. Money can do what prayer does, and it is quicker and less time-consuming. Our trust in ourselves and in our talents makes us structurally independent of God. This is absolutely true. Here's the ABCs of the difficulty we have to prepare for. Here's the challenge in ABCs so that we can remember it. Challenge A, achievement culture. Prayer doesn't run with the achievement culture. We feel like prayer achieves nothing sometimes. Sometimes it feels like God listens to what you pray for and then does the opposite. That's the opposite of an achievement. It's going backwards. It's better not to pray. You can achieve more. To prepare for this, you have to learn to be inefficient. Where can you learn things like this? How to be, what did you go to church and learn yesterday? I went to church and learned how to be inefficient, unproductive, and how not to achieve anything. <laughs> how inspiring. Can I come with you? Never. <laughs> we can't decide the effectiveness on our prayer immediately. Prayer is like a seed you've got to leave in the ground and then wait to watch it grow. If you put uh, something in the ground today, and Josh is an urban farmer, he'd know much more than I do, and you water it, and then you come back tomorrow, and it hasn't grown into a full apple tree, and you go, well, that's rubbish, I'm moving on to something else. The problem is not the seed, the problem's you. In prayer, we put our seeds in the ground because we trust God and we love God, and we don't look for the achievement, for the production. We, we be patient, and we're happy to be inefficient. So prepare yourself to be inefficient. Number two, the B, 
is a busy culture. We have to learn to slow down. We have to realize that slowing down is a real challenge. You know that most of you haven't, most, who was born before the uh, 2000s? Raise your hand. Okay, a vast majority born before the 2000s. That's good. Okay, so you know that most of us in this room haven't been bored since mid-1995. That's it. When you got your first Nokia 3210 with snake on it, that was the last time you were bored. Ever since then, whenever there's a moment, you pull out some device and you do something. It's getting more sophisticated what you do, uh, and you can monitor your screen time, but since the 90s, you don't even know what boredom is. You'd see friends together, never, they wouldn't even know what their friends look like. Something happened to me, I got mugged. Can you please draw a picture of the person? No, I can't, but I can tell you what phone they had. Why? Because we live life like this. It's the greatest thing. It's, no, it's not, it's not. It's a terrible thing. Go to Asia and get on the MTR. Any MTR, any country in Asia, and this is what you see. And it's a little bit like that in Perth. Not as much, but it still is. It's not as much because some people are asleep, so they're not looking at their screens. But if we were all awake and alert, we'd be focused on our screens. Here's how you can practice to slow down. Put your devices away. If that will kill you, put them next to you upside down and then look at someone and talk to them eyeball to eyeball with no goal not here's something I want to talk about just NS, please don't make eyes at me <laughs> how's your day what, what, did you, what did you do at PRAC this, today. can you tell me everything you did at, at PRAC and just focus now listen you know what the romantic thing, the most romantic thing you can say to someone nowadays is you are the person, this is just a snippet for you, those of you who are singles, this is a big tip. <laughs> you are the person that I want to get bored with in life. There's no one else I would rather be bored with than you. That is nowadays the most romantic thing. You know why? Because no one is ever bored. They're always entertained. You know the least romantic thing? I have the most fun with you. I'm always entertained with you. I always have a great time with you. Why is that not romantic? Because that's going to wear out and wear thin. Then, you know, people aren't just another device to pull out for our entertainment. But to sit down and listen to someone. This can help you pray. Because when you're in a conversation with God, you're going to get bored. You've got to learn to slow down. And for those of you who are willing to try, you know, slow down takes time. So you can't do it quickly either. All right, I'll slow down for five minutes. One, two, three, four, five. Deep breathing, circular breathing. Nice. Okay, three minute, 47 song. Okay, done. Slowing down is over. I can breathe again. That may be how you start, but eventually we need to slow down. Number three, consumer culture. We need to learn to depend on God. This is the problem. We all have so much that, as uh, Paul Miller said, we can buy what we want. Oh, God, please provide for my needs. But on second thought, what I do is just go to the grocery store and buy everything I need. Thank you very much. Oh, God, please will you provide X, Y, Z. But on second thoughts, I'll just go provide that for myself. If we have enough money, we really don't need to pray about anything. And yet, those aren't the kind of prayers that are really what we, what we need to be praying for. 
We learn to see, we know, sorry, we need to learn to see that everything we have is from God. Our gifts, our talents, our time, our energy, our capacity, our open doors, our closed doors. And then we can see that everything, uh, we, for everything we need God when we're healthy, wealthy, and well. And if we can see that we need God when we're healthy and wealthy and powerful, we'll have great prayer lives. God, I know my bank account has what I need. But teach me today to trust you. And I thank you that whatever my bank account has is because you have given me talents. You have given me open doors. You've given me opportunities to work. You've blessed our nation uh, with a healthy economy. Thank you for all these things you've done that have empowered me to have some money in my bank account to go buy my groceries today. You're still exercising the purchase of groceries, but you're doing it in a way where you see that all of this is from God. See what I mean? Okay, so how do we pray? Paul gives us three parts to the life cycle, and we'll go through this quickly. Firstly, here's what Paul says. Firstly, continue steadfastly in prayer. Number one, you do it. That's the first part. We do it. This seems pretty simple, but it can be the hardest part because we have to slow down, be unproductive, and lean into God. And who puts that in their schedule? What are you going to do today? I'm going to be unproductive, slow down, and see that I'm completely dependent on someone else. No one has that as a goal for a day, but we need to. And then we can, um, I don't know if we have the, we do. Chris, would you mind putting up the table? Here's the prayer that Jesus gave us. You don't have to use this, but it's really helpful. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This talks about relationships, relationships with others. It's our Father. He didn't teach us a me prayer. He taught us an our prayer. Our Father. Our Father. It tells about a relationship with God. He's our Father. We, we talk to him as our father. It's close already. When you begin prayer, you're already in intimate relationship, like a child to a parent. And it tells me about me. Hallowed be your name. It puts me in submission. Your name is beyond all names. Your name is greater than my name. Your name is greater than my boss's name. Your name is, you are above all, God. Hallowed be your name. So immediately, we set on a good foundation, which breaks a busyness culture. And secondly, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This challenges us to have the priorities and motivations and desires and goals and vision of God. This breaks our achievement culture. God, what do you want for my life? What do you want from my day? What do you want from my week? What do you want from my business? What do you want with my education? What are your priorities and motivations and desires and goals? Breaks the achievement culture. Number three, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is complete dependence and breaks our independence culture. I can't provide everything for myself. I need to lean into God. Give us the things that we need. And thank you for the ways that you provide. Secondly, what you do, so you first have to pray. You just do it. And then secondly, you watch it. Paul says, uh, being watchful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. What does it mean to be watchful? Well, it could be, that there's only two other times this is in the New Testament. The one time it's watching for Jesus' return. So it could be that every morning you're, you're saying like, hey, Jesus, are you coming back today? Is this, is this the day? I'm staying, I'm staying keen. Please not today. Today's a good day. Then the next day is a terrible day. Please today. Today's a terrible day. I really don't want to go to work. It's Monday. I don't want to go to work. Please, God, come back. Um, no, that's probably not what it means. It could be, but it's probably not. There's another time Jesus says it and it's when, when he says to his disciples, uh, keep watch with me and pray. And, you know, the gospel's about to blossom in the world. And he's inviting them to be a part of it. And he says, keep watch and pray. 
And this is probably uh, what, what Paul is meaning. He's probably saying, pray and stay alert and watch how God answers your prayer. Watch what God does. God is moving in this world and moving in your life. Pray and then watch God. See what he's doing. And then thirdly, he says, give thanks to God. So you, you pray, then you watch it. And then when you see how God resp- re- responds to you, you respond to him in thanksgiving. And then you repeat. And that's the cycle. Pray, watch, thank Thank God, repeat. Pray, watch, thank God, pray, watch, thank God. G.K. Chesterton wrote, when it comes to, to life, the critical thing is whether you take things for granted or take them with gratitude. God is kind to you right now. God is merciful to you right now. God is steadfast, loving towards you right now. God is faithful to you right now. You have a choice to take that for granted or to take that with gratitude to open your eyes and see his goodness in your life, in our church, in our city, in our nation, in our world. Do we take things for granted or do we take things with gratitude? And so that's the cycle. Pray, watch, respond, repeat. Why pray? Prayer is not a magic bullet to get what we want. This is a Western problem. It's not. Prayer is not... God is not a prostitute that we use prayer to pay for him to do what we want. How insulting is that? That's not why we have prayer. And I felt, you know, God, I've asked you, but you never respond. I'm not going to pray anymore. How mature I am. (laughs) I hope hope there's others out you that are like, like me, out there that are like me. Otherwise, I've just given away my own immaturity. Prayer is not like a job where you go and do it and then you get remunerated. The more you do, the more you get. One of the, one of the, most, one of the true and difficult things is when, when there's ever, whenever there's been a revival, you can trace it back to prayer. And so a truth becomes, or a felt truth becomes, if we want revival, we need to pray. Prayer is now the method to see God's great revival. But that's not true. You've got to go before prayer to where God is renewing the hearts of Christians. Why did people start praying? Because they desired something in God together. Their lives were being renewed and awakened to something of God. They desired, they turned to Him in prayer. And after prayer, God fulfilled the longings and desires of a people, of a city, of a nation. And revival came. But it's our proneness, our humanness to stop at where we are the answer. How can we get, get revival? We just need to pray. And it's true. Prayer precedes revival. But not in a way where we are the answer. So like any relationship, we have to have conversation with some, someone. But by having a conversation with someone, we don't get to own their minds and their behavior. When I'm in relationship with Nas and I'm having a conversation with Nas, that doesn't mean I now own her and she must do what I want. I spoke to you for 10 minutes. I made three requests. It's your duty now to fulfill those requests. No one would say that about God, but sometimes that's how we feel about God. Why are you discouraged in prayer? Because God doesn't ever answer them. God does more than answer your prayers. I promise you that. He does more than answer my prayers. And he's a wise father who answers prayers better than we could ever pray them. So why pray? 
We pray so that we can get to know what God wants. We fumble and fall and we put things out there in prayer. We talk to God and then we watch and see how he responds and we learn about God and what he is like and how he responds and we see his wisdom and we discover, this is, I I don't know if you've discovered it yet, it's something I've discovered, that God is so much wiser than me and when I ask for something simple, he replies in a way that is so complex my mind can barely understand it. When I pray for something that's about me, he answers it in a way that almost always makes it about a whole bunch of people. He's so wise, so much bigger, so much broader, so much deeper than I can imagine. And so I, like a child, I lay my simple requests before him and then I see him like the wise creator of all things move powerfully in, in my life to do more than all I could have asked or imagined. And he's doing that when I can't see it as well. But we need to pray not to get what we want, but to get what He wants. By inviting us to pray, we learn what God is like and what He wants for us. So prayer exists for us to get what God wants. And so through praying and watching, we're able to see God's responses in our lives. And we see it, you know, we pray for for peace. And God doesn't end wars. The reason we have wars is because we're not reconciled to God. The world is not reconciled to God. So we have wars. We fight with each other, the jealousy. and So we don't have peace. And we're praying for peace. God, give us world peace. And he does. But what does he do? He gives us Jesus. But the world doesn't want Jesus. He gives us Jesus who dies on the cross and reconciles us to God. And that's the primary problem is we don't have, we have war because we're not reconciled to God. So God fixes the big problem and reconciles us to himself through Jesus Christ. And he gives us peace through the man Jesus Christ. But we don't want Jesus. We want no war. And God says, I'll give you more than all you asked and imagined. I'll give you shalom. I'll give you eternal peace with me. We pray for God to, to give us... <laughs> maybe you don't. I pray for God. You know, God, just give me loads of money. I'll just like, I'll just give it away. I'll just be generous. I'll just... It would just be so much easier if you just do that, God. And he goes, okay, I will provide what you need. Come to me every day. Lean into me. Here's a prayer. Give me today bread. Come to me. Lean into me. You need me. I'll give you more than all the wealth in the world. I'll give you myself. No, I don't want you. I just want the stuff. The stuff will mean nothing without me. Come, I'll give you me. And by me, you will find everything you ever needed. And so he does answer our prayers radically. I prayed once for my friend dying with cancer in a hospital bed that God would heal him. He's a giant of a man, two of us, fairly strong. I wasn't so strong, but my friend was really strong. Tried to lift him up. My friend had so much faith. He's like, let's just raise him from the dead. Let's raise him from the bed. We were desperate. And we tried our hardest to lift him up and to pray for healing. And you know what? He didn't. He died. And you know what we saw happen after that? The ama- that through that occurrence, God united a whole Christian community. There was forgiveness, re- repentance, forgiveness, soft-heartedness. God moved powerfully on the lives of people in that community. People came to Christ. God brought more life than we prayed for. I just wanted the life of George, but God brought life to areas I hadn't even considered or thought about. He answered my prayers in ways I couldn't imagine. Better than I could have prayed. I still miss my friend. 
but I see what God was doing. It just took me a while. So here's an idea for prayer. I've got three moleskins. I don't know if you know what a moleskin is. If you don't, then you don't deserve one of these. (laughs) But because of God's grace, you can have one anyway. This is a very famous French book that was used by artists like Van Gogh and uh, most... But it actually became famous when an English author brought one from France to Australia to write the story, uh, the song, song tales or something, quite a famous book. And that's when moleskins became famous. And uh, it's been reopened. Anyway, you can have one of these very precious books. And inside of it, what you can do is take a page and you write on it someone's name or something that you want to pray for. I had one here for Liberty to give you an example, but I've lost it. And just on it, I have Liberty Bliss. I have a scripture that, that that I just am praying for over her life, something I feel God's put in my heart. And then there were two prayer requests, her reading She's a, she's a bit behind God. Won't you please help her with that or give us strategies? And the other was a cyst. She had a cyst on her cheek. It, uh, every day it was growing, it seemed, even though she uh, responded, similar to Nas, to going with faith. Dad, it's getting smaller. Uh, I can see that. More. <laughs> uh, so it looks like this. And I remember one day we had been to the doctor. We had kind of explored. And then eventually one night while she was sleeping, I found a little bit of faith to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, won't you please just heal this? And I put my finger on her cheek and I said, please, Jesus, won't you just take it away? I forgot about it. And 24 hours later, I remembered to go check. And I went to her and it was like there was a little scab here. Scratched it off, her cheek, gone. Just gone. Within 48 hours, a cyst that had been there for a couple of years and, and growing slowly, just gone. God doesn't always answer my prayers like that, but what I can do now is write that on the back of her card. And what I can do is take all these cards and have a little treasure trove. When I'm not sure how God responds to prayers, I can pull out my treasure trove and read and, and see what God has done. And say, God, you have done these things in the past. You have moved amazingly. You have shown your hand in amazing ways. Thank you, God. Now repeat, new card, Stephen Beck. This is something I'm praying for them. Let's see what you do, God. I'm going to watch and see. And then write the response. So you can take some of these, super easy, and I'm not guaranteeing you how quickly you can write something on the back. You're going to have to wait and watch. But eventually God will help you see, and then you'll be able to celebrate. Or you can take one of these. And in these, I've written two things. I've taken up two pages. One page in one of the books has got my name. So if you take the book and you end up with my name, you have to commit to praying for me. Um, and there's a few scriptures there about what you can pray for, about my leadership of my family and my marriage and my leadership of this church. And then there's a second page with one church that's in Resound, our family of churches that we relate to in Asia Pacific. And there's a name of a church and the name of a leader and something you can pray for that church. And I can give you the email and you can let them know that you're praying. There's one book, and I'm not sure which one it is, that has Josh's name and a, ch- a different church that you can pray for that's in Resound. And then there's another book with just the elders in general and a different church. Uh, so I need three people. This is a bit of a selfish uh, sell. But I need three people who would commit to praying and take these books. Joel is one at the back. Jordan. And one the- Adam. All right, these three moleskins are yours. And then anyone else, come and grab those note cards. And just start recording. 
pray, write it down, watch, just see what God does, then record. And let's build a treasure trove of God answering prayers. And that's what MC Hammer got right. You do got to pray just to make it today. The, the context where Jesus uh, took these words, and I close with this, was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, watch and pray with me. And then he goes and he prays. And Father, if you take this cup from me, but not my will, your will will be done. And he's praying. It's not my will, but your will be done. He's facing this trial. And what do the disciples do? They fall asleep. They're so tired. They can't do it. So the first example we have of these super disciples being called to pray by the man himself, they are absolute failures. And yet, what does he do? He, he goes to the cross, he rises from the dead, and he goes straight back to them. They're still his people. He's still going to use them, even though they can't stay awake and pray with him in his hour of greatest need. There is no room for condemnation and guilt if you're a bad prayer. There's no room if last time you tried to pray, you fell asleep. If last time you tried to pray, all you could think about is work. There's no room for condemnation and guilt because every single time the king of glory will come back and say, hey, I'm still calling you to come and partner with me. Come to prayer. By prayer, you get to know my heart. You get to uh, understand what I'm like. You get to be part of the gospel of Jesus Christ going forth in the nations. You get to be part of the kingdom in ways that are amazing. You just get to come, come and pray with me. A week later, you go, oh, no, I forgot that again. The king of glory comes and says, come, come and pray with me. I urge you to take up his invitation and to join him in prayer and to learn what Jesus loves, learn about his kingdom, learn what he's doing in your life through trials, through obstacles, through victories and failures. Each time, get back up and let the King of Glory invite you to come back in. I want you to stand with me. Let me close, us, close for us this way. Try not to fall asleep. Close your eyes, if you will, if you don't mind. And hear the words from Paul straight to you. My friends, those of you who've put your faith in Jesus Christ, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. Maybe take a minute or two and think about how you can respond with your real life and your real priorities and your real schedule and Jesus' real invitation to join him in prayer. Jesus is still interceding for you and for me. In a sense, he's still in that garden kind of picture, interceding. And there's an invitation to join him.